Renegade Aviator, David Costa. Oh, oh, up there the way I'm done. Two soldiers, five. We on the airfield and airspace. You are clear for takeoff. Have a good one. Thanks, Mo. Clear for takeoff. Check your bucket brake off. Check your trim set. Check your nozzle steering on. Maneuver. Damn it, half school page. Left turn out. That's what I'm up. Off brakes now. The Renegade Aviator combines jet airshow performances and this radio show to promote aviation, excellence, overcoming obstacles, and achieving goals. Here he is, the Renegade Aviator, David Costa. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, announcing our new website this week. I made it really, really simple. WorldRecordJet.com. And I bet that you can figure out exactly what we're up to with a website like WorldRecordJet.com. So I'm trying to keep it simple, man. Go to WorldRecordJet.com three times. How about that? Simple, however, is not a word used to describe this week's guest. And there are a lot of ways that I can describe him. Let's see. Entertaining? Yeah, I guess that's okay. But that seems a little bit too generic for me. How about like a streak of lightning or an aerobatic symphony or eye-searing entertainment? Okay, this week on the Renegade Aviator Radio Show, high-octane pilot of Prometheus, winner of the 2013 Bill Barber Award and the 2015 Art Scholl Award, Mr. Skip. Stuart, Skip, welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show. Hey, David, glad to be here. Right on. Well, so for uh, for somebody who might have lived under a rock in the air show world, uh, give us a little bit of a background of who you are and how you got your start flying air shows and how Prometheus came to be. I'm the product of prop dusting grandfather that got me interested in aviation at an early age. You know, I built plastic model airplanes, and, and that led to building uh, remote-controlled airplanes. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed uh, modifying the kids. Back then, you actually had to build them out of wood, and you know, unlike today where you just buy them off the shelf. So you could, do, you could modify them, make them your own as you were uh, building them. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but when you fly remote-controlled airplanes and you're doing aerobatics, it's basically airshow training. I mean, you're flying an airshow for yourself and the people who are there, and I was pretty passionate about it. And, and then when I was about 14 years old, I went to an airshow for the first time, and that's when I realized that what I was doing with models was actually emulating what people did in real life. Uh, Leo Loudenslager was at that air show flying uh, a Laser 200. That is basically the grandfather of the modern aerobatic monoplane. And um, just blew me away. I mean, you know, he's flying an airplane the way that I was trying to fly models. And it, that was the inspirational moment for me. A lot like, I guess, when a kid goes and sees the Blue Angels, he wants to join the Navy or the Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds and uh, he wants to uh, join the... Uh, the Air Force, or even, um, you know, someone that watches an Olympic uh, athlete competing for the gold, and that becomes their passion to be an ice skater or a gymnast or whatever. But for me, that was that moment. And I knew then that that's what I wanted to do, and that from that point on, the rest of my life was going to be sort of focused on trying to achieve that goal. 
And I also found out later that not only did Leo build that airplane, but he, what we called in the model airplane world, kit bashed it. He took Stephen Zacro uh, airplane kit and then turned it into the laser, which intrigued me even more because, you know, when I was doing models, I like making things my own. But at any rate, pursued, you know, I knew I had to have a good career, I had, had to have some money to buy an airplane to at least try to do that. So in, um, when I was about 24 years old, 23 years old, I guess, I'd become a corporate pilot and I could almost afford an airplane. So I bought the Pitts F2A and uh, started doing some aerobatic instruction and uh, competing. And just to fast forward, that slowly led into being invited to my first air show. And then I was surprised how successful I became fairly quickly, not monetarily, but, you know, booking show after show. And after about a, a year or so of that, I sold the Pitts S2A and bought the airplane that most people now know as Prometheus. It started off as a factory Pitts S2S. And then uh, every off season, I would uh, modify it. And over about a five-year period of time, it became the airplane that, that it is today. And then, of course, I built Prometheus II kind of as a single thought from all everything I've learned over the years of uh, building and breaking uh, Prometheus. And uh, so Prometheus II is also a very special airplane. But uh, that's that's basically how it came to be, you know. And in the beginning, I, I was I felt like I was a farmer because I would, you know, I wasn't making any money flying air shows. I get paid a little bit, but it cost a lot more to to fly the shows than it did than I got paid. So I would put I don't know thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars on a credit card in the off season, modify my airplane, getting everything ready, and just hoping that I made that enough money to pay off my credit card by the end of the season. And now, you know, twenty one years later, uh, I look back on it and I'm and I'm I'm pretty surprised uh, how well it's turned out. You know, I one of my biggest questions that when when I watch you fly, when I see what you're doing, it's the, it's the question that, that comes to my mind because I don't fly near as low as you do. But how do you practice for the low show that you do for the things you do? I'm, I I would imagine, yeah, there's a lot of practice involved, a lot of stair stepping, kind of sneaking up on it. There's a whole different dynamic, I would imagine, flying as low as you do. Does it require a special, a special series of, you know, taking a normal aerobatic pilot and, and we always tell them, right, fly at certain altitudes, but you're down on the deck and, you know, it would amazes me. It's, it's really, really, really cool, guys. You got to watch, you got to watch Skip fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's, I mean, from a, a skill point, I don't think it necessarily, I mean, there's a certain level of skill to fly aerobatics, period. I think um, I think the thing that I have that might be a little more unique than other people is a very large envelope of comfort. Uh, I have a tendency to be able to put myself into a stressful situation and not get fight or flight responses, which you know, uh, fight or flight responses where you get tunnel vision and, and hearing loss and time compression, all those things that happen when you kind of freak out, like if you, you know you're, you're doing the, you're you're speeding and you pass a police officer and you get that feeling, and I, you know that I, it takes a lot for me to get that feeling. And I think that allows me to go uh, into uh, you know more crazy situations that more, that some people might find scary, and remain calm and with my wits about me. I've found over the years that I think if I do have a unique ability, that's probably what it is. Because the thing that'll kill you quicker than anything else is that you know if you don't stay focused and keep your wits about you and not you know you have to, you have to fly comfortably. People that want to fly like me and they're coming up and they're asking me questions, that's what I tell them. Never fly uncomfortably. If you get in a situation where the hair stands up in the back of your head, you're doing something wrong. You're just flying too low. You're doing a maneuver you don't know well enough. You're on an airplane you don't know well enough. And I'm in a unique position because I built my airplane. So I'm very confident in my machines. I know them very well. 
And you're right about the steps. I mean, I used to fly every day, twice a day sometimes. If it wasn't raining and I wasn't at work, I was flying that airplane. And I spent a lot of time on my routine. I would come up with, for the first years, right? I started with the S2A, and it was it was six years before I flew my first air show. And during that period of time, I was practicing different maneuvers. And so by the time I started putting an air show routine together, I knew what I could do well, practice those maneuvers individually, and learn from them, like what, how much... How much airspeed do I need to enter it? How much altitude am I going to gain or lose? How much energy am I going to gain or lose from that maneuver? And I would put those maneuvers on postcards with a notation of whether they gained altitude and how much. You know, it might be a plus one or a plus two or how much, out, how much they lost. It might be a minus one or a minus two and, or if they were energy neutral. And I arranged those on my coffee table into a routine that looked to me to be energy balanced. And I go practice and practice and practice it. And then, you know, I move them around until I came up with a routine that I felt like the best balance of energy that I could come up with. And that's what I flew every time. Every time I would fly, I would practice that same routine. And then over time, you start finding, you know, the, the more comfortable you get with the routine and the more it becomes second nature, the more things slow down and, you, and the more you're going to analyze it and realize that, hey, you know, this, I've got room here to add something, and, you know, I'm always tight in this, route, in this maneuver, and, you know, I have to work a little extra to get energy there, so maybe I need to change that. Maybe I can add something here. And so it's metamorphosized over time to become what it is now. And honestly, it's very comfortable to fly. My, my shtick, what I, what I like to watch was low-level aerobatic. That's what has always turned me on. When I watched Leo fly, he took off, and he did a, he did a, a two-and-a-half, two-and-a-quarter snap roll on takeoff, winging this in the ground by about 15 feet to knife edge. And that just, I mean, didn't matter what else he did, that was awesome. So what, what I've tried to do is develop a routine that, I, that is easy, uh, that looks good, that I can fly low. And there are maneuvers that I don't do. I don't do any left rudder tumbles because they're unpredictable. I don't do any traditional inside snap rolls because they kill energy. And everything I do is very, it, it, they're simple maneuvers that I can do close to the ground comfortably. And if somebody watches my routine that lives aerobatics and they, and they pick it apart, they'll see that, you know, I'm not trying to do the craziest tumble anybody's ever seen. And I'm not, I'm not trying to do the perfect four-point roll or any of that. Kind of, I'm just trying to do dynamic, tight, low maneuvering with a fast pace. And, it's, and that's what I like to watch, and that's, and, that's, and that's how I fly. And, you know, so far it's, it's, uh, it seems like people like, enjoy watching that as well. Oh, no, they absolutely do. And that brings me back again, because people, when they want to start doing something that they love, for you and I, it's it's aerobatics, it's air shows, but for other people, it could be any, any worthwhile venture. When I hear you talking and you're taking us through, you know, you practiced for six years before you started flying an air show, the number of times that you critique yourself and pick apart and know every element of every single maneuver, I think people get this in their head when they go out, and I don't care if they want to be a ballet dancer or an airshow pilot, they skip over that preparation, and then they, they look at somebody who's very, very good at what they do, and they either oversimplify it and say, oh, I can do that, and go in and, and do something crazy, right? Crazy is not airshows. It's excellence demonstrated, or the other thing where they say it's really hard and they quit. Right. You know, so that's what's so important to bring somebody like you here to say, yeah, watch what Skip does. But to hear how you get there, I think that's, especially young people today, it just skips. They go, you know, I'm going to do a year of practice and I'm the world's best air show pilot. 
Yeah, I mean, a good example of that is base jumping. I have friends that are base jumpers, and um, you know, the, uh, they they rock climbed and they skydived and they they built they built up a uh, you know a lot of wisdom in that before they started wingsuiting and base jumping with a wingsuit. Now, and, and if you if you looked in recent years, the number of people who have been killed doing base jumping and wingsuiting has skyrocketed. And it's for that very reason. You know, they see these people on uh, commercials and they're wingsuiting and they think, oh, yeah, I want to do that. And they try to start with face jumping and wingsuiting. And that's not where you start. You know, you have thousands of jumps out of airplanes. And, you uh, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know that much about it, but I just know that, uh, uh, that there was a trend. And that was the issue, is you have young people coming along and they, that's what they want to do. And they just want to start at the end. It's, uh, it's dangerous in, it's dangerous in uh, base jumping and it's, it's dangerous in airshow flying as well, or aerobatic period for sure. Yeah, and it's it's dangerous in just driving a car. You know, you, you mentioned it, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, people get themselves, and you know it, and you fly all over the world, and you fly heavy iron, um, and you've probably seen the average pilot, and you can watch it happening where they start to feel uncomfortable. Now, sometimes you're uncomfortable because you haven't gone and learned the basics or gone through the skill set and other reasons why you feel uncomfortable. Is something dynamically changed with that flight? There's something that changed, and you don't quite know it yet, but our ego will lead us astray. You're flying a minimums approach, and something just doesn't feel right. Right. And the easiest thing to do is go around. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Well, that's why I tell people, you know, that they that if you're on, if you're doing something uncomfortable that makes you uncomfortable in an airplane, then then you need to you need to reassess because that's that's the worst place to be for sure. But, um, but yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of preparation. And for me, I mean, when I started, I just started because I was passionate about aerobatics. You know, I, I, I didn't see the end game. I never thought I would be a successful airshow pilot. I wanted to be, but I just wanted to have an airplane. I drove a 91 Honda Civic until it had 300,000 miles on it when I was a co-pilot on a DC-10 for FedEx so I could have an airplane. You know, I mean, I made sacrifices along the way because that was my passion. I was just looking at what I could do next to fly aerobatics, and I wanted to compete, you know, and the, the, the end game was I wanted to be an airshow pilot, but I was, um, to me, it was like I was a high school football player thinking about being in the, in the NFL, you know, it's not something that I even really thought was necessarily possible, but uh, I, was just, I was just passionate about what I was doing, and I, just, I worked on it little baby steps at a time, and like I said, you know, you, you keep your head down, and and do what you enjoy and work hard and next thing you know you come up for air and look back and like oh wow i've been a been an airshow pilot for over 20 years it's pretty amazing it is i mean it's yeah, t- 20 years goes really really quick and you know here we are today right it's it's been my big push this year with you know the shutdown of our air shows and i've had more and more people say well that's okay and these are the air show fans which is what really concerns me They'll go, that's okay, I can just watch a bunch of YouTube videos and I can see all this stuff online. And I I don't know about you, but my big push has been, no, you need to come out live. Watching Skip Stewart fly live (laughs) is totally different than watching on a YouTube video. I mean, do do, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I think just just that I think that uh, going to an air show is probably the best outdoor family activity there is on the planet. You know, I mean, it's a pretty awesome, awesome thing to to witness. And but yeah, you can't you can't hear that engine pumping and that prop screaming and the air separating off the wings and the crowd cheering like you can at an air show and uh and yeah i totally agree with that i mean when i, 
when I first got a job as a commuter pilot, uh, the, the most exciting thing to me about it was that I had jump seat privileges, and I used them to go to air shows all over the place. And uh, I, I could afford a rental car or a hotel. So nine times out of ten, I would get a rental car, drive to the show, and sleep in the car. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, how, how, uh, that's how much I enjoyed air shows. Well, they are, and it's no matter how, I think, technologically advanced we get, um, short of putting cameras in the aircraft and showing them on the jumbotrons, I just, it's a, a part of America has been our local airports, and air shows big and small, it's a whole different, there's a whole different venue going to that small local air show as there is going to the big military base air show, and for different reasons, oh, right? I mean, totally different reasons, totally different experience, but... Um, you, you probably see both. I'm sure you see both when you travel all over the U.S. flying air shows. I enjoy them both. I mean, you're up on Oshkosh uh, numerous times, which is the best show, air show on the planet as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's awesome. Almost, you know, pretty much, definitely. Everybody there is an aviation enthusiast, which makes it unique and different. And, you know, there's uh, hundreds of thousands of million people there over the course of a week. It's awesome and incredible. But I've also flown shows where there might be you know, 2,500, 3,000 people in a really small town, a lot of whom haven't, have never seen anything like that before. And it's a bit much more intimate. I get, uh, I feel like I can interact with, you know, almost the entire crowd, you know, uh, one at a time or uh, groups at a time talking about the airplane. And, and, and it's a different level of enthusiasm and it's a different, a different level of, uh, of inspiration for the small shows. Uh, so I enjoy them both. And then in, in foreign countries, you know, there's, there's, there's places that I've flown where I'm not even sure they've seen an airplane before. You know, I've flown in Honduras and well, all over the place, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic. And uh, the, the, the level of enthusiasm and appreciation that some of these countries that, that don't have the things that we have in the United States and aren't able to access the things we have in the United States, uh, the level of enthusiasm that you get from the people in those countries uh, is, uh, and appreciation is, uh, is pretty humbling and awesome. I think it is. I think we forget how lucky we are to be in america and we do take it for granted sometimes and uh you know I, we're here to promote aviation for sure but we're also here to remember as i say excellence demonstrated and then you go to a to another country where they may not have electricity every day of the week they're they're watching yeah, yeah. Large, large portions of countries that don't have electricity at all or water you know i mean it's uh it is pretty incredible it is. It is. So have, have you seen through the years a change in the air show crowd, or have you seen it go better, worse? What, what, what's your view of our air shows lately? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know that I've necessarily seen. I've seen a lot of air show, a lot of small town air shows go away. I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen is, I don't know if it's because, Air shows, you know, from history have been an exciting, you know, sort of the first extreme sport, right? I mean, you know, to see somebody flying an air show routine, there wasn't a whole lot. The next best thing, I guess, would be like a race car driver who's actually up there and your fear for their life. And then, then comes along, you know, uh, computer-generated um, movies, uh, CGI, and, you know, and, and people are getting their senses blown away by video games and, and, and the movies. And, and I think it's, it's become uh, more difficult uh, to entertain the younger people of today with air show flying. And I think I saw a dip. I feel like I've, there was a dip uh, a few years ago, uh, but I think it's coming back now. And I'm not sure why, but 
I think uh, there's that, that that dip is starting to come back, and I'm seeing a little, a little more enthusiasm from younger people about air shows than I've seen uh, a few years ago. Um, so I feel like that that, that it's a, it's changing, but uh, and, and I, I've tried to incorporate in my air show ways to re-engage with those people. You know, you got the X Games and the motorcycle cycles and the, all that kind of stuff, and I put that in my show. And you know, we have Richie's incredible pyro, and now. Um, now we have the pyro team with um, Rick, uh, with Rick, and uh, you know we're blowing up gas, huge balls of fire while we're flying around in jet trucks, and uh, of course I do the inverted flying underneath jumping motorcycles, and I try to put as much entertainment as I can, and and try to make it as extreme as possible in order to keep it relevant. So I think it's important to do in the industry is you know if you're just still up there doing loops and rolls and uh, barnstormer style that is it's not really going to be as entertaining as it was 50 years ago. I absolutely agree with you. And I think there's, there's two things going on. One, uh, now that we have so much CGI kids today, the younger kids, they know everything is fake. I think we, we went through a time where you could watch a movie and see an airplane do something and go, Oh my God, that was amazing. And it was all done. It was fake, but the kids today appreciate I think more, which is which is a good sign. Appreciate that skill involved to see it done for real, and it kind of gives them hope, right? That it's not you can't CGI what you do. <laughs> I, I haven't, I, you know, I haven't thought about it like that before, but I think you're exactly right. I think that that may be why there was a dip initially, you know, because people are visually overwhelmed with CGI, and um, but I haven't thought about it like that before. But you're probably right that now we have a have the generation that knows everything's fake and now they're appreciating the things that are real. And that might be the little bit of a resurgence that I've seen in the last few years. That makes a lot of sense. One of the questions I have, you mentioned, uh, you know, that motorcycle jumping over you as you come through. It's a question I hear all the time too. How do you time that? Because every time I watch it, it looks timed perfectly. Is there, I don't want to give away tricks, I guess, but how do you time that? Oh, I don't have I, I don't have any secrets. Um, the the motorcycle does the timing. We, we we sort of both do the timing. The only thing that I have to do is be consistent, right? I need to be the same speed, and obviously at the right altitude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know that's my that's my my important thing is to be uh, is to be smooth and consistent. And uh, we practiced it quite a bit, and we got it, we have it down now. So you know we we hit it a couple of times, and we're on for the whole weekend. But. Uh, but I just have to come through at the same speed every time. And the motorcycles, I thought about doing this uh, motorcycle jump act back when I was in college, you know, because I grew up with Evil Knievel, and I always thought, well, that would be really cool to, to fly under a jumping motorcycle. In my mind, it was going to be like Evil Knievel, right? He was going to have to take a, you know, a half a mile, get going a million miles an hour, and, you know, do this big jump. And the truth is that today with the modern modern uh, dirt bikes and all these guys that uh, the jump for them is nothing. You know, I mean, they can do a backflip in their sleep. So it's, he's just doing his thing super easy. They start off in second gear, probably 50 feet from the ramp and literally flip the throttle a couple times and they're over. So he does the timing and he just, he, he watches me and he cues off of, you know, windsock or one of the runway lights or whatever it is and, and hits the jump and then he can see if he's, he's early or late and then maybe he'll make, pick the next light. And, and once we have it down, then he knows when to leave. And as long as that stays smooth and consistent at the right altitude, it's good. So for me, flying you know high alpha knife edge or inverted at 15 feet, that's no big deal. And for him, hitting a 
jump and do a backflip or, or tabletop or whatever he's going to do. There's no big deal. So for him doing his job, me doing my job, that both of us are, we do it in our sleep together, you know, makes it a pretty exciting thing to watch. But see, it comes back again. I'm smiling as I'm hearing you talk about that because it, <laughs> it, it comes back to these same things that I don't know, is, are, are, is it oversimplified? I think it's, it goes back to, again, you practice something over and over and over, and you also have that high level of precision, right? Did I gain a foot? Well, right. You know, where most people can't, can't fly an airplane within 100 feet. <laughs> uh, well, right. Well, think about how many thousands of jumps, you know, and hundreds of hours and hundreds of gallons, thousands of gallons of gasoline that Cody has burned learning how to do that and 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 the bones that he's broken i mean the, the, uh, cody elkins is the guy that jumps me most of the time and he's broken like 80 bones in his body you know since he was eight years old or whenever he started riding motorcycles all of that wisdom and and experience has led him to the point where yeah i can do a backflip and think about what i'm gonna have for dinner and the same comes for me to me you know i've flown so much and, and burned so much gas that uh, flying inverted 15 off, 50 feet off the ground is, you know, it's like, uh, it's like, you know, driving to the store. So, it, but it take you, but you're right. It, it, it took a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of, you know, um, a lot of learning to get to the point where we can do that comfortably. But, um, yeah, for him, it's not a big deal. For me, it's not a big deal. And that's, that makes a safe act, though, right? You know, it looks like, oh my God, it looks like it's this, everybody calls it a stunt. Well, it's not really a stunt, you know, it's, um, it's theater. It's two guys at the top of their game doing what they do best and doing it in a way that's entertaining. Yeah, a stunt we see on TikTok or something like that, you know. And that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, but again, it's, it's you know you fly for a FedEx, so you're it's managing risk and whether you want to start a business, whether you want to go to school, whether you want to fly air shows or jump or jump motorcycles. There's a risk there. But risk management, you know, I'm sure Cody didn't want to break bones, and and I've never met I've never met you or him, but I don't you you don't strike me as crazy. You see what I'm saying? I mean, there is a risk, but it's managed. Crazy people scare the hell out of me, <laughs> right? I mean, right. am I off base? Yeah, here? no, it's, uh, no, I, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I never consider myself a daredevil or anything like that. Um, and, you know, people call me that, and people say I'm crazy, and I usually just say thank you. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, it's, and it's, uh, what we're doing, like I said, it's not, a, it's not a stunt. A stunt would be, you know, you're going to set a world record by trying to do something that's never been done before, that you've never done before, and that's totally not the case here. Of course, the best thing to do for the airshow audience is to sell it as if it's the most dangerous thing ever seen, and that is a problem that I do have with the airshow industry, that I have had with the airshow industry, uh, pretty much since I've been in it, I appreciate, understand, and fully support the fact that we need to be as safe as possible. Obviously, the the safety of the spectators is paramount. I mean, without spectators, we don't have air shows, and the, the safety of the air show pilots also. But um, unfortunately, I think it's unfortunate that that's lapsed into us telling the crowd how safe it is. And I've even had, I've even flown air shows where on practice day, you know, I go up and do my torque and I come out and uh, wag the wings like I'm out of control and disappear behind some trees, right? And then the next day, the announcer is like, don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, he's about to go behind the trees, but everything is fine. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck are you doing? 
you know, that's like uh, a magic act. And the guy's going to saw, saw the woman in half. And then the announcer comes out like, he's not really going to saw her in half. Everything's going to be okay. This is an illusion. So don't worry. You know, so I think it's gone a little too far from that standpoint. And um, if you look at the great Waldo Pepper, you know, somebody's in a play. He's in the death spin. You know, pull out, pull out. Oh, my God. He's going to go. Oh, he barely made it. And we're, we've lost a little bit of that in the air show industry. Um, in the, in the last couple of decades, and uh, I, I'd like to see it come back. I think it would be better because uh, you know, people want to be excited. They want to be on an emotional roller coaster. They want to be emotionally engaged. And uh, what we do is an illusion, that it is theater. And I think that uh, there's nothing wrong with selling it as being dangerous. Uh, but you know, like I said, unfortunately, we're living in, in a litigious society where everybody's really worried about you know, hurting somebody's feelings or getting sued or whatever it may be. So um, uh, what we do is water down a little bit, unfortunately. No, you're you're absolutely right, and it's, it is. That, that's what makes that spark, that you want that thrill. You want to rise up off of your chair. Otherwise, everybody walks around and half of the crowd's not looking up at the air show performer because it is. It is that performance. It is that narration. It is that, oh, my God, here he goes down behind the trees and, you know, oh, is he going to be yeah. okay? And that is he okay? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, but but you know, and, and especially that's where these small local air shows really get me jazzed. You know, back when I was in New Jersey, I would go to this little air show called the called the the Sussex Air Show up in northern New Jersey. I've been there many times. Yeah, and, I held Leo Lounsplayer's pole at the Sussex Air Show. Exactly. It wasn't it, that was a great environment. You were right up. And you could see everything, and uh, it, it's again nothing against big, large military shows. I love them. No, it was intimate, and they always had the best performers in the industry fly there. It was the, the best little show there was. Period. That is, I mean, you, you could see Jimmy Franklin. You want to talk low, so Jimmy Franklin, you know, would get low. I mean, and people would really see the low. Uh, where if you're 300 yards back because it's a big show, you may not appreciate it as much but uh it also helps to keep these little airports open and to keep these local sponsors involved you know air shows are a business they're they're entertainment and they survive these smaller venues feed the larger venue help the air show pilots go get sponsors i think we really need to you know i tell my audience all the time get out there and go to your local airports, get out there and support these smaller air shows and buy food from the vendors and, you know, go thank those sponsors who support what we love. Absolutely. You have sponsors, I'm sure, Skip. Uh, you want to uh, give a shout out to any of your sponsors? Oh, well, uh, you know, Lycon Custom Aircraft Engines, uh, they've helped me out uh, tremendously. Uh, Whirlwind Propellers, uh, Sarasota Avionic, Skytech Starters, uh, Champion Aerospace. Uh, I've got I've got too many to list, uh, but uh, def- definitely need the support of these guys. Otherwise, it would be a cost prohibitive thing to do for sure. Yeah, there are no uh, multi six figure salaries for air show performers. That's why we all have other jobs. <laughs> uh, there's, there's been a there, there's been a couple of guys you know in the history of air shows that have made a really good living at it, but uh, it's, it's not something that I would I would tell somebody to go into as a sole career. That's for sure. Right. What do you got coming down new? Any uh, any inside stuff? Any things new planned for for the next time we get out there and uh, tear up the sky? I, I, I tell you what. Uh, now every, everything that um, obviously was in motion has been killed by the uh, by twenty twenty. It's um, I, I was fortunate to at least get to fly two shows this year in Central America. I flew in El Salvador and Guatemala. 
in January and February. I've had an air show since. Uh, we were excited. We thought Pensacola Beach Air Show was going to happen. Um, that was supposed to be this weekend, and uh, it kind of at the last minute last week they canceled when the Blue Angels pulled out because of the uh, the rise in the number of cases in Florida for the virus, and they're closing beaches and so forth. Uh, I have uh, four more shows that are scheduled to happen. I don't know if they're going to happen or not. Uh, I hope they do because um, I'd like to see the um, like to obviously see the industry come back. At this point, I think we're just, uh, you know looking forward to doing a hard reset and trying again in 2021, but just uh, bringing more of the same. Yeah, that's um, so. How has your practicing changed then? Right, so you you've got to stay ready to go, or you uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure after 20 years you don't you don't need to practice, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you do need to practice just as much. But are you still going uh, out every day and flying? No, I don't. Uh, I haven't flown every day in quite a quite a while. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's kind of an amazing thing that happens. Uh, the the body is is uh, is, is an amazing machine. And uh, I used to have to fly. If I didn't fly three times a week, I'd lose my G tolerance. I mean, my show would go. You know, uh, I, I, I pull as many as twelve positive and push as many as seven negative. And if I went, you know, on a FedEx trip for a, a week and came back, I would be back down to you know six or seven positive and three or four negative from getting genies and all kinds of stuff. But after about eight, nine years of flying pretty much every day, every chance I could get, I was going to switch flipped. And now my body's just like, okay, I get it. You know, so I could pretty much go back. I've gone three months and got back in the airplane and had one, one warm up flight. And the next day I'm right back at it. I might have to strain a little bit more than usual, you know, to, uh, whereas when I'm, uh, when I'm in the mid- middle of a busy air show season, I have to remind myself to tighten up. I, I have an aerobatic, practice area to the surface at the airport where I keep my airplanes and I've flown oh I don't think four times I guess since January gone up and, and beat on the airplane I've also flown at least a dozen times in other aerobatic airplanes you know flying with, with other people uh, uh, doing some instruction and and giving some rides and things so I stay at it you know I, I would say I fly every 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 uh, couple of weeks two three weeks I'm, I'm up there getting some vitamin G before the next show happens I'll, I'll open my aerobatic box and, uh, and you know, hammer on it, get get two or three good flights in, so that I'm I'm nice and primed for the show. But it doesn't take nearly as long as it used to, and I've been flying the same routine for so long that uh, you know, there's never any surprises. Yeah, time, time. It's you know, instant overnight success. Decades into it. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, man, right on. Good stuff, Skip. You know, as we were coming up. We're running kind of short here on time, but as we roll forward in this and people look at these big goals and they look at achieving excellence, uh, give us a little bit of tips or hints on how somebody can take that big gnarly goal and just make it happen, just knock it out of the park. Yeah, I'm restoring an old car right now, and it reminded me, you know, it's all it's a rust bucket, and you know, you know, the people who've seen it are like, man, this what an overwhelming task this must be. I don't know how you do it. And that reminded me of pretty much how I have how I've confronted everything in my life, and that is, you define your goal, and then you define the steps along that goal, and then what you concentrate on is not the goal; you concentrate on the next step, because the next step is easy, and as long as you just say, okay, you know, this is what I want to attain, and then focus all of your attention and energy on attaining that step, and then once you get to that step, you can look at the next step. And as long as you only look that far ahead, an attainable small step, it doesn't get overwhelming. If I looked at it like from the get-go, here's all of the thousands of hours and, and thousands of gallons of gasoline and, and, and tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of money that I need to spend 
to become an airshow pilot, to maybe become an airshow pilot, then it becomes so overwhelming that who would do it? You know, who, who, would, who would even think about doing that? And, uh, you know, you just have to, if you want to be a doctor, you start thinking about, oh, I got to go to school for 16 years and do the intern and get student loans. You don't think about that. You think about this semester, I'm going to get good enough grades so that, that when I apply for medical school, uh, I'll have the best chance of getting in. And you just concentrate on that class or that semester. Little steps. And like I said before earlier in this interview, when you, when you keep your head down and you concentrate on the task at hand, Next thing you know, over a period of time, you come up for air, and you look around, and you're like, wow, look at this path that I've walked. You know, I was just looking at my feet the whole time and look at the distance I've traveled and how awesome it is. So I think that's the best advice I could give to anybody. That's outstanding advice. It really is, because I think we overcomplicate it or oversimplify it, and so we end up either quitting or um, washing out of the system. I, I agree with you. Skip, where do people find out more about you? Where do they go to watch all your cool videos and uh, and experience what you do? Uh, the best way to see the videos, um, honestly, uh, other people have uploaded videos uh, that are uh, more exciting and better than the ones that I've than most of the ones that I've uploaded. Is just to go to YouTube and put my name Skip Stewart in. You can also go to my website skipstewartairshows.com. And there are links there to my Facebook page and, um, and Instagram, those types of things as well. Just go to YouTube, type in Skip Stewart, and all kinds of cool stuff comes up. There's good, a lot of good videos that some of my fans have, have taken there, as well as some promo videos that we've done ourselves. Right on. Right on, Skip. I can't appreciate it enough. Really eye-opening, some great information. So thanks a lot for, for coming on the show today. I know uh, you're a busy guy, and I appreciate you coming out. I would imagine that this show um, is something that's uh, well-received because I know there's a whole bunch of people out there in this air show void. They're just looking to consume any kind of air show information that they can since they can't go to one, and I'm glad to see you guys doing this. I appreciate being a part of it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, and uh, it's it's been a crazy year, but we're doing what we can to promote air shows out there, and we will be back, I'm sure. <laughs> hey, it's my pleasure. It's, uh, I enjoyed it very much. Thanks for inviting me. All right, Skip. Hey, stay right there. Let's wrap this show up with some final thoughts. Skip Stewart, ladies and gentlemen, Google him. And if you want to see some really cool videos, Skip Stewart. You can also find him at PrometheusBiplane.com. How about that website? PrometheusBiplane.com. You know, each week I bring you the best in the air show industry. And if you love air shows, please consider sharing this podcast with other people that love air shows too. We're out here supporting air shows and keeping the fire going, taking that spark and keeping the fire going with our air shows this year. People are what air shows are all about. And performers are the people behind the aircraft that you see doing all those cool things out there. And the reason why so many people watch air shows is to be entertained, no doubt that air shows offer fantastic entertainment. And if you want to see low, if you want to see low, <laughs> Google Skip Stewart. But another reason people go to air shows is because of possibilities, and they may not realize this. And hey, look, excellence is not the words you use. Excellence is not what you say. We have Facebook for that BS. Excellence 
by definition, must be demonstrated. Like it or not, like airplanes or not, people are drawn to air shows and events like this because they get to watch people demonstrate excellence. So in whatever you choose to do in life, demonstrate it. Don't talk about it. Skip said, make the hard work look easy. And you know what? Don't be a wild card or a show-off in life. Do what you do comfortably, meaning put in the hard work now. Make the hard work look easy. You need to focus. You need to work. Until the amazing things that you choose to do in your life will look easy. And you'll say, you know what? It was no big deal. So make the sacrifices. Put in the work before you open your mouth about how good you are. And you know what? Here's the secret, ladies and gentlemen. When you can demonstrate what you do, you don't need to talk about it. That's why air shows are so cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, time goes quick, and I have to light them up and blast out of here this week. I'm going to be back next week, each and every week, wherever you find podcasts. Subscribe, share, and rate us five stars. My website, where you can join my crew for all kinds of special insider perks. You know, we have give insider interview information to my crew. Go to RenegadeAV. 8r.com renegadeaviator.com social media same thing facebook instagram renegade aviator real simple i couldn't make it any easier than that but you know what do you remember when the show started i talked about world records baby world record jet.com I don't have time to go through what i wanted to talk about because time is short but you can get involved world recordjet.com especially you zoomers our zoom crew the people 18 to 30 who have stem skills science technology engineering math if you have a trade if you're good with your hands if you've got a huge passion for doing really cool things with jet airplanes world record jet Dot com. You'll see my pretty face there. I start off the webpage with a video from me. So what could be more fun than that? WorldRecordJet.com. This is David Costa in the air with my TS-11 Iskra jet and on air with my crew, you, each and every week. I am the Renegade Aviator. See ya! Nine five one eighty back in with the pull. A little more pull. Pull up. Altitude. Altitude. Sort of ready now. Roger. Up there, down right now. Two, three, four.